1: If we could lose our salvation, all of us have lost it. All of us. That's what I say to people when they say that to me. Well, if we could, I blew it the the day after I came to know Christ, and you probably did too. What one of us could say that we haven't. But we don't look to ourselves. We're not saved by our good works, and we don't keep on being saved by our good works. It is the work of Jesus Christ that has saved us and that keeps us saved.
2: If we are really honest about it, Most of us want to be saved from our sins and from the consequences of our sins. It's also true that most of us think we need to be good in order to reach this goal, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in a series of programs on key Bible doctrine words. Words like redemption, justification, salvation, new birth. Propitiation, Repentance, Reconciliation, Adoption. These words form the very foundation of our faith, and we need to know their full meaning. Today's lesson is the second part of the study of the word salvation. That's a word we toss around quite freely, and we may mean various things by this word. But the Bible is very specific about the meaning of the word salvation. Let's listen as Pastor Steve continues to tell us about salvation.
1: Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 say this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's important. Sometimes we say it's a dying world, and we've got to reach it with the gospel. Uh, It's dying in the sense that it's physically dying, but actually it's a dead world. It's dead. It's already dead. Dead in sins and trespasses. In which... Paul writes, You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What he's saying is you were born as children of wrath. You and I were born into this world, dead in sins and trespasses. We walk like everybody else, and if we didn't do it outwardly, we did it in our minds, and we were a corrupt people if you jump down though to verse 8 you see the marvelous good news and it really starts in in verse 4 with that little phrase but God well certainly one of the most important phrases in the Bible in verse 4 but God but God God did something about that Christ died for us and verse 8 says for by grace you have been saved through faith you have been saved you have been saved and it's not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works that no one should boast. No one's going to stand before God and say, boy, pat me on the back. I am good. I'm better than most. No, anyone who goes to heaven is going there because of the grace of God. Undeserved favor. It's a gift. God has freed us from the guilt and the penalty of sin, which is hell, really, eternal separation. Now, how does Satan attack in this area? Well, Satan's good at this. And uh, he attacks us. He comes to us and uh, he attacks our minds. He says, how do you know that you were really saved? How do you know that you were saved? Look at your life. How can you claim you were saved? I mean, if you were saved, you'd have victory. You'd have victory over sin. You'd, You'd never struggle with sin like you do. Or, he says, how do you know you really meant it when you asked Christ into your life? How do you know you really meant it? Maybe you should invite him in again. And then you do that. And the next day, he says, well, maybe he didn't say the right words, you know. You say the right words. So you invite him in again and again and again. Or he says, if you if you really accepted the Lord, you would feel spiritual. You feel saved. You don't feel saved, do you? You look at other people and, and compare to you, they're spiritual giants, and you you're you're still struggling with the basics. How could you be saved? And he does that in our minds. And how do you deal with doubts of salvation? How do you deal with it? Well, I'll tell you, for one thing, you don't argue with him or you'll lose. He's a brilliant genius, madman, and you don't, you, you'll lose. In fact, that's the point of Ephesians chapter 6. We, we wrestle not against flesh and, and blood. We wrestle against Satan, but we wrestle with God's protection, not your own. God has provided the protection. We don't go in there and say, we'll take you on and I'll figure this out. No, no you'll, you'll be more confused. Never. What do you do? You lean on the word of God now. You do two things, actually. To know that you're saved, you turn to the word of God. And such passages as John 3:16, which says that we need to trust Christ. Whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the objective truth of the word of God. And you rely on that. You believe that. Regardless of whether you have feelings contrary to that. But secondly, there is a subjective truth, which is also based on the Word of God, and that is you look and you see if there is evidence in your life that you're a believer. Look at Ephesians 2 again. We often stop at verse 9. We always quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but you know, verse 10 is critical to our understanding of this. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We often leave off verse 10, but what he's saying is, if you are really saved, the result of genuine salvation is good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. It's part of God's plan. It, this is a great uh, study word in the Greek New Testament. The word workmanship refers to something that, that is made. Uh, in fact, our English word poem comes from this Greek word because someone would create a poem. It comes from this Greek word, and in the Greek language, this word came to mean a masterpiece, a work of art. Do you know that you and I are God's masterpiece? We're his work of, of art? We are. We're God's masterpiece. We're his poem. We're his work of art in which he's designed to produce good works through us. Every time you do a good work, that's God's handiwork being demonstrated through you. Some of the good works will be really a desire to do what's right. Love for the brethren, confession of sin, repentance in your own life. Anything that is in obedience to the word of God, you cannot do that. If you were not saved, if you were not saved, you would have no spiritual desires to do anything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's absolutely true. You would have absolutely no desire to, to do anything of a spiritual nature, regardless of your struggles with sin. The unsaved are totally at enmity with with God. They totally hate him. They're not necessarily conscious of that. I don't think they necessarily wake up and say, oh, I hate him. But they do, and the fact that they they hate him is demonstrated by by virtue of the fact that they don't obey, and they don't desire to obey. But if you desire to obey, and you are uh, trying to live by the word of God, you are his workmanship demonstrating that. So if you're confused about the time of your salvation, or the events around it, or what words did I say, you know... uh, Don't be too concerned about that. In fact, don't be concerned at all. The proof of your salvation is your works, your obedience to the Bible. That's the message of James. That's the whole message of James. If you've really been saved, James says, don't tell me you believe. James must have met a lot of religious hypocrites in his time. And James is saying, "Don't, don't tell me that you believe. Show me that you believe. Show me that you believe. And he speaks about justification by works, not in the sense of being justified before God. That's by grace through faith. But James is using justification in the sense of being justified before man. It's before man that we prove that we know the Lord and we prove to ourselves that we know the Lord. Many people try to uh, to really date their salvation and, and this is when I was saved, this is why I know I'm saved. You know, the Bible never says that uh, to have assurance you ought to determine the date that you were saved. Now, it's fine if some people can do that. That's wonderful. But it's not necessary. God always calls us to the proof of salvation being the objective word of God and the subjective Evidence in our own lives first John. That's what first John is all about. These things are written that you might know that you have salvation They know that you have eternal life So if you're confused about that if Satan has come to you and said have you been saved in the past? Yes The Word of God says if I come to Christ, and I believe I am saved I have been saved the Word of God says that if I was really saved Then the evidence of my salvation will issue forth in good works. I know I am saved so in the past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That is spiritual, eternal death and judgment. How about the present aspect of salvation? You see, if Satan can't get you to doubt that you were once saved at a point in time, he'll try to get you to doubt whether you're still saved. And there are many people who struggle with that. Many people believe that you can lose your salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that, but there are many people who struggle with that. There are others who teach it. The Bible doesn't teach that. I was with someone not too long ago who looked me straight in the eye and said, after I told him what the Bible said about eternal security, he said, well, I still believe we can fall from grace. Many people believe that. And the way that that Satan uh, does this is he'll whisper to you, you may have been saved once, but you've certainly lost it. Look at your life. Look at your life. You see, when we say that we were saved in the past from the penalty of sin, we are saved now. We are being saved from what? The power of sin. The power of sin. Paul said to the Romans, he said, sin will not reign over you. We sin, but it does not dominate us. If it dominates you to the point where you're a, where you're a slave, where you can't obey, then you're not a believer. Romans chapter 6, you can check it out on your own. Well, in fact, we'll, we'll check it out in just a moment. But you see, here's the point. if If you're really struggling with sin, Satan will whisper to you and he will say something like this, Look, if you're really saved from the power of sin, how come you're so impotent? Spiritually, you don't have victory. Look at your life. It's a shambles. You're always losing the battle, or you seem to, and and others are making progress, and you're not. How could you say you are being saved from the power of sin when you look at your life? So some people think, well, they must not have ever been saved, and they obviously are not being saved. They must have fallen from grace, as they put it. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 again. Romans chapter 6. I'm not going to an exposition of this. Once again, we we have tapes on. This is, uh, I think, uh, Romans 5 and 6 are two of the hardest chapters in the Bible to understand. And I remember after studying this, I had a splitting headache. But... uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 12 and following tells us such wonderful news and maybe that's why I had a headache because there was a real spiritual battle going on I think it's critical to understand Romans 5 and especially Romans 6 therefore Paul says do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness To God for sin, and this is great sin shall not be master over you. It will not. It can't. For you are not under law but under grace. You've moved from the realm of law to grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Paul says, may it never be. Perish the thought. Uh, We would say, don't even think such a thought. It's hideous. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. Now notice that. You were slaves of sin. You had no choice in terms of of whether you were going to obey or not. I've said this before. You really had no free will. You simply had choices as to what sin you would commit. You were slaves of sin. You were slaves of sin. You didn't have an option. Well, I think I'll obey today. Uh, no. No, it's just a matter of what sin you'd be involved in. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, he's saying you were you were saved. You came to Christ. He calls it obedience. And have been freed from sin, you and having been freed from sin you became what? Slaves of righteousness. You are slaves of righteousness. Now, does that mean that you'll always have victory? No. We still struggle. If you don't know that, all you have to do is study Romans chapter 7. Paul speaks as a mature believer of the struggle between the spirit and the flesh in him. However, what this does mean is that you do not continually, habitually, lifestyle, mindset sin. There are breaks, there is repentance, there is confession of sin. If there's not that in your life, then you do have to wonder if you're really a believer. But if there are breaks, if there's some victory, if there's some obedience, if there's confession, if there's repentance, then you are not continually slaves of unrighteousness. So if you if Satan comes and, and he whispers that to you, uh, you will be smashed with his broadsword and your Christian life will be paralyzed if you think that you're going to be saved again and again and again and again. You won't move forward. You won't move forward. You'll you'll be paralyzed in your life. Your only protection is to appropriate from God's word what he says about our present eternal security. It is a vital doctrine to understand that we uh, have been saved and we are being saved. What did Jude say? He said, to him that is able to what? Keep you from... Falling, isn't that wonderful? He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from falling away from salvation. John six thirty seven. Jesus said, "He that comes to me, I will in no wise, no way, ever cast you out." I think that's pretty clear. John ten verse twenty seven following says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus didn't say, "Well, and they and they move away from me." Said so no, they. They follow me. If you look at their the totality of their lives, they are characterized as following me. And they'll never perish. They're in the Father's hand. They're in my hand. Double security. So these are the marvelous truths uh, about that. And you can get books to help you on that. We have a whole tape album on that. But it's a joy to know that we are being saved. At this very moment, you are being saved. If it wasn't for God's enabling in your life, you wouldn't. But we are being saved saved and it wasn't for an, if it wasn't for an understanding of not just God's enabling which keeps us moving forward but the whole work of the cross was an eternal work if you could lose your salvation then you might as well throw the cross away it wasn't sufficient if the cross took care of all of our sins then what sin could could throw you into hell and you know the truth of it is and I'll just say this by way of illustration if if, if we could lose our salvation all of us have lost it. All of us. That's what I say to people when they say that to me. Well, if we could, I blew it the the day after I came to know Christ, and you probably did too. What one of us could say that we haven't, but we don't look to ourselves. We're not saved by our good works, and we don't keep on being saved by our good works. It is the work of Jesus Christ that has saved us and that keeps us saved. But there is a third aspect of salvation. Not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, not only are we being saved from the power of sin, but the future aspect of salvation says that we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Someone has said that Satan's broadsword has two sides in it, doubt and the other side is discouragement. If he can't get you to doubt your salvation, he will try to discourage you in your salvation and that's the final and third aspect of salvation you see he comes to us and he says this why bother continuing in the christian life look at you struggle after struggle all you're doing is struggling with your flesh the world and satan and it never stops it never stops in fact it only gets worse doesn't it and what good does it do you why don't you just give up trying to live by holy standards that's right that's what he tries to do and he discourages many a believer." Many believe, he says, just look, why, why not give up? It'll never get any better. Do you know how the helmet of salvation protects us from this kind of discouragement? The helmet of salvation reminds us that someday the battle will be over. Someday it'll be over. Because there's a future aspect of salvation, you and I someday whether by death or by the rapture of the church, we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Beginning at verse 8, Paul says, But since we are of the day, let us be sober. We're God's children, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love, and what? As a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, he's not talking here about past salvation or present salvation it is the hope, the future hope of salvation. And what is that? Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we may live together with Him. The future aspect of salvation is this. And the great hope we have is that someday the struggle will be over and we'll be with Jesus. We'll be with Jesus. First Peter Chapter 3, this you ought to be aware of, all of it. But this in particular, 1 Peter chapter 1, rather. I said chapter 3, but cha- chapter 1, verse 3. These are suffering Christians, and here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is, according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is saying all this to encourage these people who are in a horrible situation. Obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Watch this, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. What are they to rejoice in? That we are protected by God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what he say, What he's saying ought to keep you going. That's what he's saying ought to keep you from giving up. There's a a future aspect of salvation. No matter how you're struggling, no matter how difficult it is, it won't always be this rough. It won't always be that way. When I was in junior high school, I used to run on the track team, and um, I had a lot of effort to give, not a whole lot of talent, but a whole lot of effort. And, uh, you know, the one thing that kept me going was that there was a goal. There was an end to this silly thing. It keeps me going now when I enter races, as everyone's passing me by as women with baby carriages pass me by. True, the last race that I ran in, a woman ran, and she had two twins, ba- a baby carriage, and I was so discouraged when I saw this woman pass me. The one thing that keeps me going is there's a goal. There's a finish line. It's not always going to be this ridiculous where, where men double my age and, and women who have two babies are, are passing me by. And in junior high school, it certainly wasn't with women or with uh, men double my age, but uh, it was the same thing. There is a goal. There is a finish line. And so no matter how you are hurting physically when you run, or in, a, in any athletic contest, you know that there's a buzzer at the end, there's a finish line, there, it's the last inning, it's the last quarter. You know that it'll end, and you'll be out of your agony before long. That's the way it is in the Christian life. You know what keeps us going in the Christian life? The fact that there is a goal. We have confidence that it won't always be this difficult. And so no matter what you're struggling with now and and the battle rages, you just plot ahead. It's called perseverance. It's discipline. It's what every Christian needs and what few Christians have. I love the statement by Spurgeon. He said it was by perseverance the snail made it to the ark. Plotting ahead. Imagine if there was no goal, no finish line, no end for all of eternity. Every one of us would succumb to discouragement. But our salvation assures us that someday there's coming an end to, to these struggles and we'll be with Christ. That's what Paul meant when he said, your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Isn't that great? You've been saved and you are being saved. Understand that your salvation, present a rather future aspect, is nearer than when you first believed. Listen, there are times when we all feel like giving up, but we plot ahead. Satan is so persistent, he never gives up. And he wants us to give up, throw up our hands and say, listen, why bother being godly? You persist in godliness because you see the finished line, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, this is some taste of what the writer meant when he said we have so great salvation. And this is what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We, we remember that our salvation, what Christ has done for us, accomplished salvation. It's ours. You have been saved. And we praise God for that you'll never go to hell. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. That's, that's remarkable. It's good to, to, to study about hell and the atrocity that, that hell is and to think we've been delivered from that and think that you are being saved. Sin is not reigning in you. You do have victory. We can certainly have more victory, but we do have victory. We are being saved. You can make a choice. You can obey. You do obey. You are free. And we will be saved. Someday, 10 million years from now, we'll still be enjoying this wonderful salvation, so great salvation. Let's bow for prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful it is to reflect on these truths. Lord, it is encouraging. It is encouraging to know that there is a finish line. Sometimes we get discouraged because this has been our only experience. We don't know what it is to die or be raptured and to be in a whole new realm of heaven's glory. We don't know what it is to be in a glorified body, a resurrected, wonderful, uh, sinless body. We, We don't know. And to us, Lord, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years seems so long, but it's just a moment. Just a moment. Eternity is before us. And we're so grateful that we look forward to walking with you in heaven. Lord, for whatever discouragement that our people are going through, whether it's physical or spiritual, maybe it's a financial problem or, or just the hassles of life, I pray that you'll work and, and, and put it in their hearts to press on in godliness, to go forward, to not give up because of this wonderful salvation we have. The hope of salvation lord help us to protect our minds by the helmet that you've given to us an understanding of salvation we pray this in christ's name Amen.
2: that's the good news for the believer in jesus christ god has provided that helmet of salvation to protect us from the onslaughts of satan and his army we have been saved from our sin so that we will be with our lord for all eternity You've just heard Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was part of a series that will take us through some key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. In the next lesson, we'll take up the phrase, new birth. We often speak of being born again. Pastor Steve will unfold for us the depth of meaning in that phrase. Be sure to listen next time verse by verse is a daily radio program with lessons taken from messages given at lakeside community chapel you can hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on file at our website verse by verse radio all one word dot o-r-g they're available for free download And if God leads you to support the ministry of Verse by Verse, click on the box Support Us to find out how you can keep this program on the air. Be sure to join us next time as we take up the study of the phrase New Birth. I'm Jerry Pruden inviting you to join us again for the next Verse by Verse.